to next October. <laughs> it was going to be a day long. I said, okay, great. You know, as our schedules began to do all of that. And then, and then we reconnected and she said, you know, the title is Magnificent Consent. And I really had to sit with that. I got the magnificent part. Because that's the joy of this land and how this weather has been, although we need a bit of water. And the consent part, I kind of sort of got. But then I needed to actually wed them together, weave them, you know, as if I was looming. And what came to me, first and foremost, was I, w I was raised in the 50s and 60s, and so there was a television show, and I'm sure many of you remember it was called This Is Your Life. And as a family, we would sit down, I think it was, came on in the 60s, and the family, we would sit down, and we would see all these celebrities, and they would tell all the backstory of their challenges and mostly their successes and what made them someone that we kind of wanted to be like. And so I remember watching with the family, kind of with this joyousness, you know, like, ooh, look at them. And sitting in a place where I wanted to be them. So here I was, a young black child living in Los Angeles, remembering the Watts riots, my dysfunctional family environment, the little financial security that we really did have, poor education. <coughs> I was church going at that time. Yeah. So that was every Saturday night was the bath. <laughs> we had these rituals. Right? Sunday, we went to church. Sunday night, we polished our Oxford shoes with the white polish, not to get it on the black. And off to school we went. And what I really longed for was a different life. I longed for living that celebrity life that I saw on television because that told me that there was a possibility, but it also showed me that my life was very different. And whether they told the story of some of these celebrities being famous or actually infamous, it didn't matter. I kind of wanted that because I just couldn't quite sit with where my life was. And so, I, you know, there was an era of watching television, but for me it was also an era of going into a book. So I became a reader so that I, you know, I just, you know, things were a bit unstable and a, there was a bit of a concophony sometimes in the household. So if I could resort to getting into my book, I could travel the world. You know, I could be on that black stallion, or I could be Nancy Drew, and I could solve mysteries. And I was actually famously living outside my life. And 
actually to be real transparent, I probably stayed that way for most of my childhood into being a teenager until something actually shook me and said, no, this is your life. Parents divorcing, separating, where to live, different school, different friends, a bit of bullying, didn't grow taller. <laughs> Being a black child raised in the inner city of Los Angeles. And I was, I was having a conversation with Irina at lunchtime and I told her that by the time I was 14, I was given Herman Hesse's Siddhartha. And I read it and then I read more of his books and so forth and I realized, hmm, I'm kind of different here. I'm liking it. I'm liking these books, living where I lived, experiencing what I experienced. And it took me a long time to actually sit with this idea that which truly is my life is this. This is what it is. With all the foibles and the sorrows, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows, it's my life. And when I began to look from a different lens, not from the lens of another person's existence, but from my own, it really led me into that place of wisdom. And as painful as it was, I was able to view my life from a different perspective. Wise view, wise understanding, one of the Eightfold Paths. And I realized I had been holding my life in suspension, wanting, craving, wanting it to be different than what it really is, or really what it was. And what it required was a commitment and a cultivation of meeting my life right here. You know, I started maybe here, and then it began to touch. And the touching was actually living in the present moment. Right here, right now, this is my life. This is what it is. And I could run, but I was right here. I could forget, but it's right here. And the other thing that this particular topic, this magnificent consent brought up for me is the fourth divine abode, that equanimous mind. Ecumenity, or in the Pali word, upeka, is described as a balanced reaction to joy and misery, which protects one from emotional agitation. And it's also that balanced, even mind that allows us to see not from a micro level, but much more from a macro level, to be able to see our lives as it is, 
to experience it. The joys and the sorrows, the pain, the fear. To experience it just as it is. To meet it. Right here. It's the mirror that sometimes we have to put up. We oftentimes have to put up to see ourselves. And through the experience of diving deeper into the Dharma, I've been able actually to hold that present moment space longer and longer. And I, you know, I, it's not meaning that I don't want to be like, but I recognize this is my life. This is what it is. And if I, we use the word surrender, if I surrender to the present moment of exactly as it is, I find there's an expansion, not just in my thinking, but there's definitely an expansion in my heart. And today, that's where I choose to live. You know, we get really, I know for myself, and I think we all do, we get entrapped, entrapped by this, these feelings of pleasant, unpleasant, of liking, not liking, of pushing away aversion, of clinging to. This is the root, the root cause of our suffering. And as the Buddha said, there's a pathway, there's really a trajectory from there. But I oftentimes want to figure out what am I moving from? I'm moving from fear. I'm moving from the unknown, the mystery. Oftentimes we don't like to see what, it's, what we don't know. Scary. And yet, again, this is your life. Each chapter you turn each page and it gets to be as real. It is real. It's right here. And as we cultivate these mind states and these feeling tones and how do we really in the moment touch into, oh, that, this is what it is today. You're sitting meditating. Something arises, oh, this is what it is. Am I running away from it? Am I moving towards it? Am I clinging to it? We have this opportunity to cultivate this present moment, to surrender to the magnificent consent of our lives. There is a spiraling that can happen when we don't allow ourselves to freely look inside, look outside, to do that, seeing. There's a quote that I found 
um, by Jack Cornfield that I've read over and over again and it has touched me in many ways. He says, in spiritual life, there's no room for compromise. Awakening is not negotiable. We cannot bargain to hold on to the things that please us while relinquishing things that do not matter to us. A lukewarm yearning for awakening is not enough to sustain us through the difficulties involved in letting go. It's important to understand that anything that can be lost was never truly ours. Anything that we deeply cling, cling to only imprisons us. I'll just read that last part again. It's important to understand that anything that can be lost was never truly ours. Anything that we deeply cling to only imprisons us. I have been shackled in my own mind. My ancestors were shackled with their hands. This is my life. I choose freedom. I choose surrendering. I choose the magnificent consent of knowing this is what it is today. How do I navigate that? Watching my thoughts when I'm clinging, watching when I'm sitting in aversion. Technon Han says, nothing is more precious than being in the present moment, fully awake, fully aware. I'll end with three words. This is your life. This is your life. Magnificent. Consent. Thank you for your practice and your patience and listening.